This week's episode of the Weekly General Meeting Podcast is brought to you by the good people at Aiken Promotions. And these good people at Aiken Promotions would like you to know that another good person is playing Vicar Street on the 4th and 5th of November 2016. And that good person is David O'Doherty, uh, one of the funniest people in the country. Uh, don't, uh, that's not subjective, that's objective. And he's uh, playing two shows in Vicar Street, so you need to get yourself over to Ticketmaster.ie and nab yourself a ticket to the show. Uh, David Adardi is one of the regular stars of uh, 8 out of 10 Cats Do Countdown. He's always very funny on that. He's recently had a, a kid's book out, Danger Is Everywhere. He's been supporting Flight of the Concords over the summer on their shows. You know who David Adardi is. You know he's funny. You know you got to go to Ticketmaster.ie and nab a ticket. Vicker Street, 4th and 5th of November 2016. That's it. That was the ad. And this is the show. Welcome to the Weekly General Meeting Podcast. This week we've got a show from the archive which is really important and timely because the musical guest, We Cook Corners, have a new album out now. It's absolutely fantastic. You should check it out. Other guests tonight are Donald Gleeson, super famous actor, extraordinary uh, air. Extraordinary air. I'm still on painkillers, right? I'm trying my best. Yeah. Donald Gleeson, Darlet Regan and Weaker Corners <laughs> is the episode. How is that funny? I don't know. You're just very stiff sitting on your chair looking at your phone and just sort of reading out names. It's kind, right, of, it's kind just, of funny. Just let me. Just let me. Just let me. <laughs> All right. It's a great episode. They're great guests. And... I should not have to have to be doing this. Because we're on we're on break now. This is this we shouldn't even be working right now. We're on break and I'm in bits. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, enjoy this representation of episode two of the Weekly General Meeting podcast with Charles Regan, Weekly Corners, and Donald Gleeson. We'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to episode two of the Weekly General Meeting podcast, our showcase for emerging Irish creative talent. I'm Shane Langan, and this is Neil Conlon. On this week's show, we have music from Weeko Corners, comedy from Darlith Regan, and actor Donald Gleeson will be giving us his top five tips. So without further ado, our first guest is the host of the hugely successful Irishman Abroad podcast, which we urge you all to seek out on iTunes because it's absolutely fantastic. This is Darlith Regan talking about nice guys. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks, uh, Shane and Neil, or Neil, for inviting me. Uh, it was uh, really nice at the start, the way you said it was a collection of your favourite guests from all the shows that you've done uh, over the time here in Dublin. And I, I swear to God, in that moment, I thought, fuck you to all the other guests that hadn't been invited. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, it kinda, it's a neat enough segue into what the first thing I'm going to read for you, in that I have been labelled as a nice guy comedian for a very, very long time and it uh, really fucking annoys me. Uh, and that's really difficult uh, when uh, you realize that you don't have any way to express that uh, without damaging your brand. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I wrote this piece for the paper and uh, it's called Do Nice Guys Always Finish Last? The other day, a slick-looking guy swerved in front of me in a supermarket car park so that he could nab the only remaining mother and baby parking spot. There was no child in his Range Rover, and he gave me a look. You know that raised eyebrows look that you can imagine Leonardo DiCaprio giving on The Wolf of Wall Street? I think they call it the 
you snooze, you lose look, or as I call it, the I'm not a nice guy look. It's hard to say exactly why the expression nice guys finish last makes my skin crawl so much. Maybe it's because I've always strived to be a nice guy and I hate the idea that I'm doomed uh, to being broken, miserable, while smiling through gritted teeth as someone I know to be a douchebag lifts a trophy for the rest of my life. Maybe it's because I hate the idea that every single successful person that I look up to, no matter who they are, had to be a tool in order to achieve what they wanted to achieve. <laughs> or maybe the reason I hate the suggestion that nice guys are ultimately bound to fail is because that's the kind of sweeping statement a guy who is not that nice would make. Look, I'm not crazy enough to think that there is such a thing as a nice guys and bad guys, but we have all, we have it in us all to do things that we know not to be good. But saying that the nicer the guy, the less well he will do in the cut and thrust of this world is bloody depressing. It makes you throw your hat on the ground in frustration and ask what's the point in trying? Because trying is what being a nice guy is at its essence. None of us are nice guys, girls. Some of us just work harder at overcoming it. The effort, <laughs> the effort is what makes you a nice guy because that's a nice thing to do. My stomach turns at the thought of that being punished romantically. Whenever I hear a girl say, women win a bad boy, <laughs> I want to grab that girl and shake her you know, shake her in the same way I want to shake my parents when I hear them say, sure, it's the blacks that have the country ruined. <laughs> Both are statements born out of nothing more than a couple of articles they've read, a character in a movie, and how much alcohol they've consumed on that evening. <laughs> a woman does not want a bad boy any more than she wants to burrow a tunnel to the office she works in every day. The tunnel, no more than Ryan Gosling's character in Drive, just isn't a long-term solution to getting to work. <laughs> sure, it might be fun one night to give it a go, but in all likelihood, over a long enough timeline, the tunnel and Ryan Gosling and Drive will probably kill you. <laughs> the timeline is everything. And when it comes down to where the good guys will finish, ironic that the cops drove by at that moment. <laughs> When is the point at which you say you finished last? In 2009, it was believed that Tiger Woods was not the nice guy we were led to believe. When he returned to winning titles, Nike launched a campaign with the tagline, winning takes care of everything. And for me, it crystallized why the nice guy never finishes last. Winning probably can brush away your you brush your cheating under the carpet if you're Tiger. Your bullying might be forgotten if you're Alex Ferguson and you continue to win titles. But if Lance Armstrong made a comeback and won another Tour de France, would we be suspicious? Of course, because winning can't take care of being a dickhead. <laughs> we will never forget that Lance is not a nice guy. Breaking the tape the moment you get the promotion Lifting the trophy is not the finish line. How do you want to be remembered by the people closest to you? If that's your finish line, then the nice guy always wins. The bad boy may get more girls, but the bad boy is also more likely to contract a sexually transmitted disease. <laughs>
or be involved in a road rage incident where he parks in a mother and baby spot at the supermarket <laughs> while giving me a look of unlucky mate. Maybe I'm basing all of this off one silly incident. And maybe that guy was just going into the supermarket to pick up his wife and child who were inside doing their shopping as it emerged. <laughs> You know, like a nice guy. That's it. Okay. Weeko Corners are a Dublin-based duo. Their new album, Think Nothing, is out Friday, April 25th. Or if you're listening to us in the future, it's out already. Thank you. It's lovely to be here in this secret club. This is called a pirate's life. The night breaks into little parts. I'm reduced to stealing hearts. It's a pirate's life for me. On the starboard side, it's the perfect side to be. Most of the time I spend lying around on the deck. My friend said it's a gamble, I said what the heck. Look at me now, I'm all out at sea. It's a pirate's life for me. You curse the sea, becoming rough. He said, if I believed in love, I'd take you home from it. But I'm committed to these crimes. I've given up a thousand times, but I will never quit. You told me I'd give you a lifetime worth of grief. I must be the commonest kind of thief. If I only stole from you that which I need. It's a pirate's life I'll leave. and then leave you there alone But had I ever told you so You never would have agreed to go And then I'd be on my own Your romances end with the minimum fuss You live by the sword and you're hit by a bus You live by the river and drown in the sea It's a pirate Life for me It's a pirate's life for me It's a pirate's life for me
Our final guest this week is Donald Gleeson, a man who's rapidly establishing himself as a bona fide Hollywood star. The last few years have seen him appear in movies like True Grit, Judge Dredd and About Time. His new film Frank is released on May 2nd and recently he very kindly gave us his top five tips on being an actor and a writer. The first bit of advice that I'll give to anybody is the one that my dad always gives to people and gave to me kind of growing up, which was that if you, if you want to do it, um, that nobody's going to just hire you straight off the bat. And it's the one that people kind of bandy around most. But if you, if you want to do it, then you should do it, basically being the main one. So not to sit around talking about ideas and talking about things you could do or maybe will do, but to just make it happen. So we... When I wanted to make the short films, for example, um, I had a couple of things written um, that I thought might be good. And wasn't, I wasn't doing a huge amount with it, but I went to college. I did media arts in, in, uh, in college. And there was a bunch of cool people in my year, and three of them were going into producing. So uh, Juliet and Kieran Dini and Dave Clark. And they said to me, well, we should, why don't we submit something? So I showed them the scripts, and we decided on the one that we could. That we decided, first of all, on the best one. Um, and then we went around trying to get some money, raise some money for it with the film board and with the various kind of places you can go to raise money. And no one would... We got a lot of interviews because the script was pretty good, but no one would trust us with the money because we hadn't made something already. Um, so then we went to the one that was the most easily made as opposed to the one which was necessarily the, the best script. And we each put in 200 euros, and so our, our budget was 800 euros. And, um, and we just made it. Like, we just made it happen. So... Uh, we found people who were actors. I was lucky my brother's an actor. And then we held auditions in DIT, even though we were finished in DIT. We went to the drama sock there and found a really good actress for it. Um, it was about anal sex, so it was a bit difficult to audition people. <laughs> it was like, do you want to come and make this movie that I'm doing with my friends? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, but we made it. And then we went to like restaurants in Balbriggan because we needed to shoot in restaurants. And they were all really helpful. We couldn't pay any of them, but they opened up early. I think maybe we gave them like, you know, 40 euros or something like that. So most of the budget was on 40 euros to get the guy to come in and open the place early. And then we just made it and then got another friend who had some editing gear to edit it. And then I'd edit it by myself at home and go between him and then went around festivals and did okay in festivals and people seemed to like it. And then when we wanted to make the second one, we were able to just, we had something to show people then. And then we, we managed to get some money for the second one. But again, we had to raise some more money ourselves. Anyway, this is a very long way of saying that it's possible to do things if you want to, especially now, and it's the thing that everybody talks about. Everything's cheaper than it used to be. So if you want to make something, uh, make it, and then go from there and find a community or find some people who are interested in the same thing. And if it's really crap, if, it, if it's not good, just make another one. Okay, number two. So, so that's about making stuff. And then the second one is also, I guess, about in a more general way away from acting. The second one, I would also say that I probably learned more making those two short films than I did in college, than I did in four years in college. Nice. I would say that I definitely did. And being on sets um, away from that, I learned more there than I, than I did in college. And it's a very good course, but I should have been making more in college. I didn't make as much as I should have done there. So it's all about that. All right, number uh, two, I guess, is to, if film in particular or TV is the place you want to go, or theater, is to read scripts. Uh, as much as you can. You can find them <clears throat> online. And again, this is just what worked for me. I know it doesn't work for everybody. But uh, I guess to study up on what it is that you want to do. Um, so watching films, watching theatre, if you can afford to go, because that's expensive. Um, 
watching short films online and then reading scripts was a big help for me. I, I was saying to you earlier, I probably read as many scripts as I do books, which isn't impressive because I read very few books, but I read, I read a lot of scripts um, and I buy them. You can buy them in bookshops, you can buy them online. And then there's also databases online where you can find scripts that aren't published. Um, and it's just really interesting to, the, uh, one of my favorite things is a, is a printout of a script is the look of the paper, is the layout of it, is how it, the breakup of dialogue to action to dialogue, the look of a well-constructed page of uh, of a script, I think is a really beautiful thing. And they're really easy, they're good ones are really easy to read. And make it easy for you, you don't have to really, really concentrate all the time. They just kind of happen to you. And that ease is something which does not come immediately. My brother is a really, really good writer, Rory. And he just, his big rule was that he had to finish things once he started. And so he read enough, and so he, the stuff he was writing at the beginning was not good. Like it just, you know, it wasn't. And he had talent and everything really talent like a lot of talent but it but when you start off it's not going to be good but you have to finish things you start and then move on to the next one and learn from the mistakes and i think by reading scripts you can learn from your own mistakes and learn from other people's mistakes and successes i think is the easiest way of putting it the third one the big thing you hear about uh, actors is that you that if you start auditioning so getting an agent and all those things are difficult but if you make your own stuff it's easier because you got something to show people if you start getting auditions and things like that my experience was that i really held on to auditions and i would harangue my because at the beginning when you're starting out you might have an audition every month and a half and it's difficult to have things to do with the rest of your time whereas which is where doing your own stuff comes into play but i really held on to the experience of an audition kind of to an unhealthy degree I would obsess about whether I'd gotten it or who else had gotten it and you know probably calling my agent more than I should just saying hey hey any news on the thing and of course there isn't because he would have called me you know um uh but so after an audition now I throw away everything to do with that project so I don't hold on to the sides anymore I don't hold on to the scripts anymore because you can always retrieve them from your email if you really need them but just those things lying around the apartment or lying around on your desktop really remind you of the thing that you put a lot of work into and that is possibly not there anymore. So trying to move on after an audition, I think, is really important and leaving it behind. Obviously, learning from mistakes if you haven't done well. But, uh, yeah, leaving it behind. Um, that's really good, actually. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing because it nearly extends to everything that uh, a creative person does because you can linger and that yeah. stops you from doing the next From moving one. on. Well, that's the whole thing. I found that, if particularly if there was an audition I really wanted, followed by a couple of auditions that I wasn't so mad about, I would find myself really not working as hard as I should, which is unforgivable. I mean, unforgivable isn't a word. Unforgivable is the way that you would put it normally. Um, that you should, that I wasn't trying as hard for the second two because I was still thinking about the first one. And you have to give everything to every single one because you can always say no if you don't get it. But you have to, you're always, there'll always be somebody in the room who, if you impress them, it, it may come back to help you later on in some tiny, tiny way whether it's getting you back in for something better or whether it's about getting this actual thing. So so scrapping what you've been working on and moving on to the next one immediately, I think, is, is it certainly worked for me. And I find it difficult to do. I mean, I still call my agent more than I should and I still spend too much time wondering, but not as much as I used to. I think there's already a common theme amongst those three tips in terms of... Are like, they the same tip as have I made a massive error? No, yeah. No, okay. no it's that idea of actually being willing to put yourself out there in terms of making your own things. Uh, you said when 
your reading scripts it's yeah. important for you to to feel like you've 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 mastered in as much as you can the the form mm. but also when you point out what your brother did that he has to finish scripts there's an element with all three that you have to be willing to fail you have to be willing to put yourself out there fail and, and also to see it th- yeah to see, see it, it through. through yeah i think yeah and and then when when that doesn't work out to move on to the next thing to not obsess over the fact that that didn't work out or that maybe it will work out, but to move on to the next one. It would be different if you're producing, because obviously you have to pick the one and then really, really work at getting that very one thing made. Yeah. I think if you're writing uh, or directing or acting, certainly acting, you have to be able to move on, you know. Um, okay. This might be like an addendum to an earlier one. I don't know if this will count, but if you're auditioning... You don't think it'll count? Well, yeah. If you're, if you're auditioning, this is a big one. Learn your lines. Like, and it's it's actually just about doing enough work for an audition for every audition. Um, I think people. I'm lucky that I haven't. I don't think repeated myself too much generally. I don't think, as an actor, um, and a question sometimes when you're doing interviews for press and stuff, they ask you, "Oh, you've really chosen well." And it wasn't a case of choosing well. It was a case of I normally accepted what I got given, but I, I think I always tried harder for the ones that were. Um, that interested me but really that's not good enough you should be trying as hard as you can for every single one even if it doesn't count and even if it doesn't matter to you in your head because as an actor you have to be employed particularly if you if you plan on making a living at it um so learning your lines reading the whole script and not just the bit that you're in for example i try like i try and do that every time but i know lots of people who are really good actors but it works better for me if i read the whole script understand my character in the story and so you know what they need not just from the scene that you're doing but also what it will how it will matter in the overall framework and all that sort of stuff and then learning the lines so that when you're in the room you're not just trying to remember the lines because i've done that way too many times really? yeah where the person is saying the lines to you and you're just staring at them like i'm staring at you now with just nothing behind your eyes thinking the first word of the next line that i have to say is charlie you know Charlie wouldn't want me to be here. And then you get it out and you think, I remember that one. What the hell is the next one that I'm meant to know? And it's not good enough. Like, and people say they're not good at learning lines. I'm not, I find it really difficult to learn lines. But if you're working, if you're on set, you'll remember your lines. And that's because you'll have worked hard enough. So an audition is the same. You should make sure that you've worked hard enough for it. Um, okay, the last one. I got a piece of advice off an amazing actor once who shall remain nameless. Uh, who was it well I'll tell you who it was uh, no but he said I mean that person said um, his way of working was that he liked to scare a director right with his performance that they shouldn't know what you're about to do and so if you keep them scared and on their toes and looking at the monitor or looking at you in the room thinking what the hell is coming next I don't know what's going to happen now that that's much more interesting for the director and much more interesting for the film and I thought it was a really interesting piece of advice but it doesn't always work for me so I think when you're working with directors, scaring them, I think, is a good thing every now and again. I think to just to throw them out of their comfort zone and you out of yours that you're continuing to try new things. There's another way of thinking about it, which is that if your director is the general and he says, we're going to the mountains, that your job as an actor is to turn to everybody else on set and to yourself and to say, we're going to the fucking mountains. You know what I mean? Like that's, and, and to follow the director. So if you tr- really trust the director, still scaring him is a good idea, but just saying... I am here for whatever way you want to work, whatever mad ideas you have about what it is to work. 
that that's a really good way. That's if you trust the director. I always try and do what's best for the film. Sometimes scaring a director is taking what's best for the film and shifting that to what's best for you, for the director or for you. And it mightn't work for the whole film, but it might really kick things up a notch on, on set, which is a really cool feeling when you're like, oh no, what's happening? What's happening? You know, and rolling with that's really important. But uh, yeah, every now and again, if, if when you're starting out, if you find yourself working with somebody who you don't like, don't work with them again. And, and, um, Actually, I think that's really interesting in so much as you're in each of your five tips, there's an element that you want to back yourself. I mean, obviously, you're willing to learn. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, th I think one of the things which has helped me most over the last few years is that when I find a director who I trust in, I'll do anything for them. And I'm really lucky that pretty much every director I've worked with for quite a while now, I've given them everything they've wanted and I've given them what I want too and sometimes they're very different things but i'll give them both um because you never know which one will work out um yeah but yeah backing yourself i think is important but when you're starting out sometimes you don't know what's and even now i mean i still don't know what's right and what's wrong so you'll give them something and you'll feel like that's terrible you'll see the movie then you'll say oh they used that one and it works for the film so i just was too far into my own thing and didn't have, which is a good thing, but, but didn't have enough perspective. That's a director's job. So if you trust them, you give them that. And hopefully they use it in a healthy, healthy way. That is actually interesting because, you know, when you say that you're starting off and you, you, uh, you make your own material or you make your own stuff, you're essentially talking about putting yourself out there. Yeah. 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 And that that is probably the most important. Like you're more than um, a, an actor in so much that you create your own material, you write and you direct also. Not so much recently, but yeah, 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 yeah. In a general sort of a sense, I have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and in those scenarios, both in terms of backing yourself, but in terms of putting yourself out there, mm. you, do you feel like that's something you'd advocate that you don't? You have to take yourself out, out of your comfort zone. Yeah, you, oh, certainly you have to take yourself out of your comfort zone because otherwise, otherwise you won't get any better. You definitely won't get any better, and you'll just continuing. You'll just continue to be either reasonably okay or quite good at a very narrow field, and there's no longevity in that. And there's no excitement in it. If you turn up to set knowing what you're going to do that day, that'll be rubbish. Or it'll be functional. Um, but nothing nothing more, possibly, you know. And okay. it's just when you push yourself. And I mean, that's being surrounded by great people. So hopefully when you're starting out, if you have good people around you, you get the best out of each other. But every now and again, you end up in a place where you're not getting the best out of each other. And that's the time just to say, okay, well, what do I... What can I give that will serve the project but will also keep myself, you know kind of incubated from the madness that's occurring around me in terms of um separate to i obviously there are some general themes there mm -hmm. but separate to you as an actor but as a creative person mm -hmm. do you believe that like for example you know create your own material be an originator uh, finish the things that you start um be uh, be willing to work hard you know mm -hmm. do do what's expected of you and uh, and and certainly you know be concentrating on your craft and the different iterations of your your work process do you think there is anything separate to specifically being an actor but as a creative person that you have held on to or that you've learned over the last five or six years i i mean apart from just continuing to do it you know when times are tough you know there's an element of just backing yourself there. I like So a lot of this is just repeating myself in terms of, uh, I think, look, dumb luck counts for a lot of success um, and a lot of 
work, <laughs> you know, uh, being in the right place at the right time, in the right mood at the right time, casting the director in the right mood at the right time, or finding the right actor for your short at the right time. You can get incredibly lucky, you know. Um, Brian wasn't going to be in our second short. My brother wasn't. Well, my brother was going to be the dead body in the thing, based because it was linked to the first one. And then we were like, what are we doing? He's great. Just give him the other one and make it work that way. And like, you know, being open to those things, being open to change so that you can make the best out of your project as it continues on. It's certainly with the sketches, being open to other people's better ideas is really, really important, especially if you're, well, not especially if you're trying to be funny, but certainly when you're trying to be funny, that helps, I think. If somebody does something and it's really weird and not what you wanted, but is better than, if it makes you laugh, then then you're, you know, then go that way, you know. Fo follow the people who are talented, you know. Yeah, and trust your instincts. Yeah, yeah, trust your instincts. But yeah, but also but be willing to kind of put them to one side a little bit if the person, if you really buy into somebody's talent, you know, and you just say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go that way, even though it doesn't feel 100%, even though I'm worried about what it is that's happening. If, if, if you buy into them, f I mean, totally follow them. You know, why wouldn't you, you know? Um, and it's, yeah, it depends on the people you're working with. I got really lucky early on with the people I was working with. Really? You know, yeah, with the producers and with uh, Michael, who I write with, Juliet, who's, who did all the, the the shorts, and John Butler, who directed our sketches and asked me to be in a short film when I was 20. Um, I met him and his friend in a pub, and he asked me to be in the short film, and then he cut me out of the short film. Um, but we weirdly just kept in touch. And I kind of trusted that he knew what was funny. And then like years later, like six, seven years later, he asked me to be in a, in a comedy show. You know, yeah. those kind of things, that's luck. And it's also being open to people being talented and then not getting in a hissy fit when you get caught. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was very close to doing, but then realized that's a bad idea at the moment because he's just doing what's best for his short, you know. That's um, great. Don't yeah, I don't think I really have anything else. I just thought of something, right? So the... In terms of dumb luck, but also in terms of doing your own work, that you, whatever. The short film that I made, the first one, the anal sex one, um, uh, I made that. I did an audition, and I was happy with the level of work I was doing. I was very happy with the level of work I was doing. I did an audition for a, a, a director called Joe Wright. He was making a film called Hannah, um, with Sir Sharon in it. And we got talking in the thing, and I met, you know, he was asking me what I was doing because he was interested in what I was doing away from acting and I said well I made this short and he said oh well, you send it on to me and he gave me his email address but that never like that's really really rare but he's interested in he thought maybe I'd be interesting I sent him the short he got back to me the next day and said that he really really liked it that he really liked my brother as an actor and also that I didn't get the part in Hannah um, <laughs> and you think okay well then that's and then also if there was any way he could help with the short I did in the future so I sent him the second one that I did and never heard back and thought oh well you never, you know that's fine and then I auditioned for a big kind of a break from me was Anna Karenina, um, the Kieran Knightley was the lead in, and that Joe directed, and he thought of me for Levin in that film based on the short films that I directed as opposed to um, the work that he'd necessarily seen me in. Wow. Yeah, and like we made that short for eight hundred euros and really just for us and for a couple of small festivals and to try and get better and to get the second short made, but it was the first one that he preferred. And was the reason that he thought I'm, I might be interested to talk to you for Levin. Now, I had to audition for Levin, and he watched my other stuff as well, obviously. Sure. But those tiny little things, those little bits of work you put in early on, if you really believe in them and you really try and make them work, then you never know when they'll end up paying off in some bizarre way like that. You that's know? really interesting. Yeah, isn't it strange? Yeah. Like, that's a kind of an odd, well, it's an odd way to get work. But it's, it's ironic that in, well, it's not ironic, but it, it, it certainly comes from 
your perspective of being somebody that wanted to make something because they liked making it. You didn't do yeah. that because you thought, oh, then I might get a good Yeah, yeah. Maybe someday a director will be making a movie and I won't get yeah. that one, but I'll get that. Yeah, no, it was, yeah. I, mean, I just wanted to, I, ha- I wrote something and I thought it was funny. I thought it might be worth making. But also it was the producers. It was Juliet and Karen and Dave who really pushed me to do it too. I wouldn't have backed myself as a director at all. And they said, well, if you're doing it, you should direct it. They were really kind of, helped form that whole kind of you know thing yeah. so you yeah. surrounded yourself with the right people yeah exactly yeah yeah that was um that was uh, top five tips from general hooks himself there and uh and music from um Weco corners who have announced the release of their fourth album which is called the cadences of others on the delphi label it comes out friday the 4th of november on heavyweight 180 gram vinyl and uh, it's a pretty cool album. They're a great band. They're nice guys. Really nice guys. I think the album was recorded in St. Pat's in Drumcondra with uh, like a, there's a string quart and quintet. There's um, Brass from, I think, Book of Brass Band and Conor O'Brien from Villagers pops from up what? on it. From Book of Brass Band? Yeah, yeah, they're really, really good. This is like the time that I said that thing about the TV show and you're like, oh, I can't believe you don't know who that TV show thing is. They're, they're well known. Really good brass band. Okay. Yeah, they were okay. on other voices. Okay. Before you start into your shtick. I was just wondering if I heard you correctly. Cause you it, did. It sounded, you heard me it correctly. sounded like... Silence. <laughs> Silence, Shane. Silence. Uh, the other guest, of course, is a little-known comedian called Jareth Regan. who's yeah. uh, Godfather of Irish podcasting. God, the Godfather of Irish podcasting, Jareth yeah. Regan. It's just a pleasure to have him on the show. It's an honour. Yeah. And a privilege. So hopefully a little bit of that gold dust will... will um also, Shane designed the cover for An Irish Man Abroad, the podcast, if you subscribe to that podcast. I did, I did. And the poster for his Edinburgh okay, show. Okay, okay, that's my business. So if you need to get Shane in your business, no, no, he's no. available for doing graphic design work. Oh, God, it's terrible. Okay, well, anyway, we're it's still... It's not terrible, it's okay. We're still on holidays. We're still good. on holiday, so I do have time for... Uh, <laughs> I do have time for, mixers. For, for Nick for <laughs> graphic design <laughs> mixers. Anyway, you can follow us on Twitter at The Weekly GM. Our website is theweeklygm.com and Facebook slash The Weekly GM. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll be back again next week with another classic episode. Thanks so much uh, to our producer, Eilish Bracken, and to our sound engineer and mixer, Emma Butt. Um, we will chat to you next week. Bye.